This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. I was trying to get it out of I want them dead presidents. I want to pull up. Head spin. Get it, get flat. I got six jobs. I don't get it. And we are still not tired at all on episode number 25 of Two Bad Hombres. I am your host, Vito Jerome Churko, along to my usual sidekick and partner in crime. That is the Doc from Doc and Jock, John Charles Macaroon. John, how's it going? Vito, great to see you. Welcome to the weekend. Always a fun chat. And today, my goodness, I'm greatly looking forward to it. I'm a huge UFC guy. You know, back in the day when it kicked off, I got into it. Big, big into pro wrestling, big into the UFC, and I'm looking forward to the chat today. Two in-studio guests, big-timers here, and UFC fighter and the best damn welterweight on the planet. That's I got that right. from your Twitter bio. Yep. Bobby Nash. Bobby, welcome. And Arthur Palak. And Arthur, you are his boxing trainer. That is correct. Arthur, Bobby, thank you much, guys. Thanks for having us on. Now, Bobby, upcoming ahead for you in July is a fight that you're looking forward to in Scotland. Your second fight overseas. It's great to have you in here for this episode. Looking forward to your fight. So we asked and talked to you a little bit off the air about your training, but at this point in time, where are you at in your preparations for a big fight, your second in the UFC? Where am I? Uh, right now, I'm just um, focusing on uh, just fine details. Uh, this guy's a southpaw. He's a striker, so I'm working on you know uh, things that are going to work for him. You know, He's a boxer, so I'm working a lot with Arthur. On, uh, I'm getting a lot of cool input and ideas from him. I'm working a lot of footwork, but um, I'm also really going to engage in a lot of wrestling. So right now, um, my focus is uh, basically just a lot of uh, drilling and getting in shape. And Bobby, I should have said Bobby Nasty Nash. That's right. <laughs> now, where does that nickname, by the way, come from? Um, you know, uh, Nash. Uh, I, every time I wrestled, everybody like, oh, that's nasty, that's nasty, and it kind of just came up with nasty. And you know, Bobby Nash, nasty is it just kind of stuck. Every, everybody was calling me calling me nasty uh, back in college, and it kind of just stuck, and I liked it. And now, your first fight, UFC fight, it came by accident due to an injury. Yes. Now, you didn't get to train for the opponent, or really get to study him. No. So what was that experience like? So um, my first uh, fight in the UFC was on two about two and a half weeks notice. Uh, I got the call. They're like, hey, um, this guy Li Jingling from China, one of uh, the number one fighters in China, they needed an opponent. Uh, his, his opponent got injured. When the UFC calls, it don't matter if it's a day notice, two weeks notice, it doesn't matter. You you say, yeah, let's go. Like You you have to, you can't just be like, oh, I'm not ready because they're not going to care about you then. So I, I stepped up. I took the fight. I had a really good showing. Um, I dropped him with a left hook in the first round. Uh, this, uh, had him in a really deep chokehold. The second round, I had him hurt. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of nerves going into the fight. I, you know, it was 20,000 people in the, in the arena um, you know, I gassed out because of altitude, and he caught me in the second round and knocked me out. But, uh, you know, I had a really good showing. Dana White really liked it. The UFC really liked it. And now they gave me a full 10-week camp. So I'm excited to have a full camp and show people what I'm all about. Now, what did that first bout teach you, by the way? It taught me patience because uh, I'm a very aggressive fighter. But uh, I think um, what that taught me is patience. It matured me as a fighter. And, uh, you know, just uh, being in that limelight. Um, relaxing. I think this 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 fight you're going to see me a lot more relaxed. Me taking my time. Me you know analyzing situations and picking my shots. 
And uh, you brought up patience. Patience is a big-time virtue, by the way. And Arthur, I saw on your website, too, part of your coaching philosophy, it says, patience, persistence, determination, and the continued drive to become better. Now, how did that become part of your coaching philosophy? Uh, it's just, just as when I was a boxer, one of the things that we've always realized is that the best fighters in the world are the people that always stick to the game plans. Uh, I get it. You know, things change. But some of the best boxers in the world, they, they have the patience to and the determination to stick with what they have to do. And if I go into a fight and I have to adjust, I still have the patience to adjust and move forward. And that's why when I think of coaching is you don't climb a mountain running up the mountain. You climb it step by step. And that's just like with learning anything else. I mean, when a kid learns to walk, they crawl first. They have the patience. Then they start walking. And then eventually they start running. And that's the same thing with any type of combat sport you need to learn the basics and the fundamentals and if you don't have the patience to learn the basics and the fundamentals nothing's going to help you now bobby you're an east side guy take us through your love of mixed martial arts and did you grow up with doing like karate mixed martial arts martial arts you know as a youngster (laughs) growing up here at uh, roseville michigan yep grew up in roseville michigan uh just a blue collar family um i have uh three brothers and a sister i have a big family um i started off wrestling when i was five years old so, I mean, when it comes to combat and just all that training, I've been doing it since I was a little tyke. Um, through there, I wrestled, went to high school, won a high school state title, got um, recruited, went to Michigan State, wrestled there for uh, four years, got my degree, wrestled in the U.S. Open, uh, wrestled some very high-level guys in that tournament, didn't do too well, um, found MMA, Went amateur, went pro, and the rest is just history, man. You know, I've been, like I said, since I was five, I've been uh, competing, and now this is my outlet to continue to compete through mixed martial arts. And you were pretty darn good yeah, in I, high school. I, All-state wrestler? Oh, yeah, I was, I was ve- very good. Um, I went, um, what was it, 60-1 uh, and one my senior year. You know, sorry. Yeah, 60-1 and one my senior year, won a state title. So, yeah, I had a very, very good career. So now mixed martial arts and wrestling, how... Are they different, and how are they similar to one another? Well, they're similar because with um, with wrestling, it's high pace, a lot of cardio. Fighting obviously takes a, a tremendous amount of cardio, and in a fight, if I need be, I can take this opponent down. Um, you know, obviously with striking, and you know, if I'm t- I'm on top of them, or if someone's on top of me getting punched, that, that that's a little different. But uh, with the mindset, though, you know, I was I've been cutting weight. My whole life, I've been training one-on-one, competing with another human being since I was a kid. So it translated very well into martial arts. I, like I said, competing since I was five years old against another human being, mm-hmm. it's going to translate well. Like I, I, I fight people, you know, that's why I think I'm having a lot of success because I'm just comfortable with competing. Um, so yeah, it, it translates, but obviously with the striking, there's a little more, uh, little more danger to it. How much different do you think the one-on-one competition is from team competition, team sports? Um, there's a lot more pressure on you with one-on-one. You know, I played football, and when we when we would lose, I was like, oh, you know, we lost. When I lose a fight, there's no one. There's no one. It's just me. That that mm-hmm. man beat me. Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow because to me, I feel like he's a better man than me. He beats me. He's a better human being than me. He's a better man to, than me. And I can't rely on anyone else. It's my fault. And that's, you know, a hard pill to swallow. And it, it humbles you a lot. It's now, more of a devastating blow, yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Now, growing up watching mixed martial arts, you now see as you're coming up the evolution of mixed martial arts from where it was, where there were not many weight classes. It was tournament style mm-hmm. to the evolution where now 
you know, the UFC is it. It's the major organization. It's where every fighter wants to be. Which fighters did you kind of grow up and model yourself after or did you look up to, you know, when you kind of came up? Growing up, I watched Matt Hughes. So I was a wrestler, right? So I always watched the wrestlers. Uh, I liked Johnny Hendricks growing up. I liked George St. Pierre. He didn't have a wrestling background, but he had a wrestling style. And I really liked um, Matt Hughes. They were, they were college wrestlers, so I really looked up to them, and that was like, hey, you know, these are college wrestlers who are having a lot of success. Maybe I'll dabble with this and see how I do, and, you know, it wasn't too bad. Now, in your training, how did you come to work with Arthur? Well, um, it was it was funny. Uh, after my last fight in the UFC, um, I lost by knockout. I, I stood up, like, pretty much the whole fight, um, and my boxing needed a lot of work, and I was with my buddy, Phil Cozine. His dad actually knows Arthur, and he's like, hey... Uh, I know this guy. He was a uh, he was on the world team for boxing. Give him, a, you know, I want you to come on a call, him, see what he's all about. So I gave him a call. I'm like, hey, you know, I know you're right down the road for me. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, getting some work with me, work working with me. At the time, I called him. I don't even think he knew, like like he knew anything about. He's like, oh yeah, cool, you yeah, come on through, blah blah blah. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, like I'm really trying to train. Like I'm trying. I mean, I'm serious. Like I'm trying to train. So okay, cool. I come in and he, I think he realized that I was like actually game time, you know. And uh, I loved what he was showing me. Everything. We started on some just just typical like small little basics, but uh, I I uh, advanced really quick and I was learning a lot and I'm uh, really happy I ran into him. You know, how's it working together? And I guess Arthur will let you talk here. I know Bobby's done a lot of talking, so let's get you involved. I mean, the show is more about Bobby than it is about me. I'm just a support system for him, for a coach or anybody to see somebody go from not knowing how to move from left to right or not knowing how to properly throw a jab or a right or an overhand right and then to see it now all come together is crazy and you know putting in the hard work of I knew when he first came in you know his stance was way off so that was the first thing that we had to work on work on footwork and now to see him you know automatically get in his boxing stance and move back and forth you know like it's second nature to him is crazy and then the other thing my dad came in the gym a couple days ago and we're working on body shots and I think we've worked on body shots maybe a handful of times mm-hmm. before. And just to see how how crisp and clean those body shots were that he was executing was unbelievable. Like my dad said to me later uh, in the day when we were having dinner, he says, man, he's made a huge improvement with his body shots. And for me, that's, you know, that's awesome because, you know, it's one thing when you train somebody and you help somebody out and they don't progress or they don't put the time or effort into it. So you get kind of a little bit discouraged, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, I can only show you the way you have to walk that way. And that's how I look at it when it comes to coaching. And you see Bobby now getting something out of it, obviously. Oh, without a doubt. And how has it been for you working with Arthur? Well, working with Arthur has been awesome. Um, I I really notice in my sparring things that he's showing me uh, translate very well. The jab to the body has been working really well. Um, We've been specifically training for southpaws. So my overhand right has been landing. My uppercut's been landing. And a lot of what he is showing to me is starting to make sense. At first, it was like, okay, I don't really understand the concept. But now I'm trying it in in sparring, and the concepts are making sense to me now. So, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of improvement. And I think you're gonna. it's going to be really exciting to see me in the cage because you're going to see a lot of 
all my coaches, what what they're showing me, it's going to be a resemblance in the cage. And going to Scotland yeah, for the fight. Cool. Yeah. What the heck will that be like? What are you expecting right now? Well, I know the Scottish fans, they're they're rowdy. It's not so they they do a lot of chanting. So it's a lot of chanting. Um this is this guy, I'm he's from England, so it's just south of him. So he's gonna have a lot of a lot of fans. So I'm expecting to be in his backyard with a lot of fans, a lot of chanting. But that's fine. I mean, the last time I went into someone's backyard, it was Luis Gonzalez. He was 11-2. and two. He was a UFC veteran. In his backyard, I went there and knocked him out round two, and I sil- silenced the crowd. So that's what I plan on doing. <laughs> and that motivates you, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. you want to beat somebody when they're being chanted for and rooted on, and you're the I'm underdog. I, I always say, man, uh, uh, it's awesome being uh, having a thousands of fans rooting for you, but it's even better when you have a thousand fans rooting against you. I love it. <laughs> Now, your record overall is 8-2, and two, yes. overall mixed martial arts record. Take us through your very first professional fight. Where was it at? What was the result? And, um, you know, obviously that first time around is a time where probably you're very nervous, you're excited to, you know, mix it up and see what you got. Take us through your very first professional mixed martial arts fight. My first fight ever was at uh, Crystal Gardens in Southgate, Michigan. It was for WXC. I fought Jay Jackson. Tough guy, super athletic, very strong. Didn't stand up too much with him. I took him down, took his back, ground and pound. Four minute, four and a half minutes into round one, I uh, submitted him with a rear naked choke. So that was the beginning of my pro career. And after that, you're hooked. You're like, okay, I think there's yep. a future in this. I'm going to keep training. Now, you're training into that first fight. Was it overall you know, with a strong emphasis on wrestling, or did you have a full camp going to fight number one? I had a full camp, but... I just graduated from college. I was training mixed martial arts through my college wrestling career, but for the most part, I didn't have hands. I didn't know how to kick. I had a base, base uh, a small understanding of jujitsu. I was just a very tough guy who was a really good wrestler and just liked to fight. Like that's what I was. And now, like it's really cool to see the progression from then to now because now I feel like I am a true martial artist. I, I have an understanding of boxing, jujitsu, wrestling, and I'm not to where I want to be, but I feel like I'm in the right direction to become a full, full-on fighter, like full martial artist, and it's exciting. Now, you said uh, the UFC called you. They called you directly, and who spoke they, to you? They called my manager, which is a Gerald Group. Okay, they called you and said, okay, we got this fight, and you had an opportunity to take it on short notice. Was there any reservations at all to say, look, I mean, I know you said that uh, when the UFC calls, you jump. But was there any reservation at all just due to the fact that the fight was on short notice, being that you are going to go into the Ultimate Fighting Championship? Well, when they called, I was excited. I knew it was in Denver. I knew it was um, it was on two weeks' notice. But that didn't matter. I mean, like I said, the UFC calls. It does. I was always told when the UFC calls, you take the fight. You always take the fight. So, I mean, if some promotion down the road is like hey we need you to fight like hey screw off you know but when uh the ufc calls you take that fight so i was excited i was super pumped about it and uh it was a great experience so take us through that night in denver walking to the octagon what's your music and what's it like to walk into an octagon to fight in the ufc i i I tell everybody this that was the coolest experience of my entire life to this day was walking out into the crowd of the ufc since I was since I first stepped foot uh, in the cage, my dream was to be in the UFC, and my dream is to be a UFC champion. And walking out to the cage with twenty thousand fans filled in the Pepsi uh, Pepsi Center with millions at home watching, 
it was a it was a humbling experience. It was it was amazing experience, and you know I was I was living my dream at the moment. I was living my dream, and I was walking out. And I remember seeing my family on the side. It, words can't even explain explain how I felt. It was it was amazing. It was it was a great experience, and I can't wait. I can't wait to walk. walk. I think that's the coolest experience is walking out. You're, you're just you're just bump, you know jumping up and down, and as soon as you walk out, you just have thousands of fans. It's not 500, 200, 300 fans that I used to uh, fight in front. It's thousands, and it was pretty cool. So many will say it's an adrenaline rush, one that you can become addicted to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I lo- I'm, I have an, I'm an adrenaline junkie. There's no doubt about it. Is it comparable to anything at all, being in the octagon? Because I can tell it's surreal for you when you walk into the octagon. Being in the octagon, I, I just pretty much have tunnel vision. I'm very focused. And after I leave the cage, I'm almost like high. I feel like I feel like it's like a high. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just like vroom, 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 vroom. I can't really explain it other than the fact that I'm high. You know. Now you said after the fight, you had a conversation with Dana White directly. What's been your interaction with the head of the UFC? Oh, I didn't have an actual conversation with him. Mm-hmm. But after the fight, mm-hmm. he, there was a press conference, mm-hmm. and uh, he gave me a shout out. He says Bobby Nash, Lee Jingling fight. That was the fight of the night. Great fight. Um, and he actually. He, he he enjoyed it so much that he decided to take care of me a little on the side. So that was kind of nice. How mentally tough do you have to be to enter the octagon, to embrace it fully? And just, I mean, simply to be a UFC fighter, how mentally tough do you have to be? I think that is, that's, that's a huge part of the fight game. I was 14-0 as an amateur and I'm 8-2 as a professional right now. I don't think I'm the best fighter in the world, technically, but I know I'm the toughest and I know I have a strong mental game. I know I'm willing to go very dark places in the cage. And a mental, the mental toughness, it's, it's 75% mental in this game with, with any one-on-one physical sport. The mental, mental side of the fight game is huge, and I, I believe I have a very strong mental, mental game. Arthur, how big of an aspect do you believe that is, too, in one-on-one competition and, I mean, specifically in the UFC? I think whether it's in the UFC or in the boxing ring or any type of one-on-one combat sport, it's all in the head. I mean, that's, that's where it all begins. If I mean, you have to have either something wrong with you or a special, <laughs> special genetic trait in your, in your DNA that gives you that ability to walk in and people will say, oh, it's a boxing match or, oh, you're going in for a mixed martial artist. You know, no, no. At the end of the day, you're going into the ring octagon with somebody and you're going to fight with them. And at the end of the day, it's something that's savage, brutal, but yeah. at the same time, it's extremely skillful. And, and if you don't have the right mind or the right capacity, you'll fail. And you see a lot of people that have the best genetic traits, mm-hmm. extremely well built, and they'll go in there with somebody that looks like they just walked off the street. I mean, a perfect example of that is Fedor. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. seen that guy compared to everybody that he's fought in pride, I mean, back in the day, yeah, right. But it's the mental game that plays such a huge factor in in your success in a combat sport because it takes a special special individual to get in there and literally try and beat the shit out of somebody else. And something, I mean, with that being said, has to trigger, I mean, something has to be triggered inside of your head almost to have you go off and to be that savage. Because it's really the definition of being a savage is being a UFC fighter or embracing this mentality and this kind of competition, it seems like to me at least, too. So I think I think that's where the beauty is because people think of it more as a savage act, but it's really 
I get it because you see the blood, you see the broken faces, the broken noses, the broken hands, and you think it's so savage, but that's like the 15 or 20%. The 80% is the the mental thing that happens of how do you know when to take this guy down? How do you know when to hit this guy? How do you know when to block this guy's punch, block this guy's kick? There's so much that is going through your mind that an average person that's never been in that will never understand that because they only see what's going on from the outside, but they're not seeing it through the eyes of the fighter. And there's some, that's something that you can't, exper- you, you can't experience unless you get into the octagon. Hyper-focus. Yeah. You're hyper-focus. That's, that's the way I put it. You're hyper-focus. You can be a physical specimen, be physically shredded, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that helps out, but the mental game is a large, large very portion large, of it. Very large. Very yeah. large. You're fighting in the welterweight division? Welterweight, 170 pounds. Now, normally, where do you usually walk around at? What's your walk around weight? Right now, I'm about 185 pounds. If I get out of shape, I'll get one, about 190. But uh, yeah, about one eight, I'm about okay. 185 right now. Now, everyone's curious about, you know, when they talk about wrestlers and fighters in the UFC, about the process of cutting weight around the time of the fight. So obviously, you know, a couple of days before the fight, you have the official weigh-in, and then you got to get down to 170. You know, within reason, 170 and a half, they'll let it slide. But now for you, what's the process that it takes for you, you know, about the time that you walk into a fight, and by the time you get down to 170, how do you cut the weight? Well, right now I'm at 185. I just made the transition and to start eating clean. So I'm going to be eating clean right now. When with, Through my training, I'll probably get to 180 pounds. I usually cut from about 180 to 178, 178 to 180, and I'll cut all water. It's about 8 to 10 pounds of water, which I can lose in about 24 hours if I need be. Um, so, and then I'll make weight. And I pretty much just hydrate the next day. So a lot of it's water weight. A lot of it's diet. The first five to uh, six to eight pounds is diet. Then from there, it's just water. And then I'll make weight. The next day, I'll probably go in the cage between 182 to 185 pounds. Have you had a real, have you ever had a time where you've had a real tough cut or a situation where maybe you lost a little bit too much weight or uh, had a cut where the next day where it was fight night and you had a tough time with it? In fighting, I have not. In wrestling, I have, though, because in wrestling, I wrestled 165, and that was so tough for me. And you got to remember, in wrestling, I'd be weighing in at 6 and competing at 7. So I I would lose, I would lose like 4 or 5 pounds the same day I would compete. And, I would, and then what I would do is I'd get a bagel, put some honey on it, eat that, get some Pedialyte, smash that, have some fruit, and I'd go and wrestle. Uh, now I have a whole 24 hours to recover. So it's I feel amazing when I go into the cage. It's awesome. Now, if you win July 16th, do you stop this clean eating at all? I mean, if you, you know, to celebrate, is there any sort well, of that in the back of your mind at, about what you, after, you do? I, I, I'm, I'm very disciplined. Uh-huh. But after my fight, you know, I will, I'll, you know, I'll enjoy myself a little bit. Well, I you will. should. Now, what yeah. kind of food would that entail, by the way, for you? For me, I'm not much in this, I, I'm not much in the junk food, but, you know, I'll, I'll have macaroni and cheese, steak, mashed potatoes. I, I like hearty food. I'll have some burgers. Okay. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff on the barbecue. Have a couple of O'Browns with my buddies, you know, a couple of beers. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what, what I'll be doing. Now, with the UFC, obviously the contracts are structured where at any time the UFC can say, okay, you know what, maybe you've lost a couple of fights in a row. Maybe you need to go down and train a little bit more and fight somewhere else before you come back to the UFC. Do you find that the pressure to win in the UFC is a good thing to keep you sharp in fights? Or is it really tough knowing that at any time your livelihood can be taken away by really any arbitrary means, you know, you know, affecting your livelihood? It's 
definitely puts a lot of stress on you. This 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 fight is very important. You know, I, my last fight I lost, so I mean, I got to win this fight. So it puts a lot of pressure on me, but you know, I don't mind the pressure. I've, like I said, I've competed. I've wrestled in the U.S. Open. I've wrestled in Big Tens. I wrestled some of the best competitors in the world. I fought on big stages. So the pressure is nothing to me. You know, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to run through Danny Roberts. Now the champ right now, Tyron Woodley. Yep. Tell us a little bit about him. What skill set does he bring to the table being the UFC welterweight champ? Tyron Woodley is also a, um, a wrestler out of Missouri. So he's a college wrestler, has a good wrestling background. He hits like a truck, extremely athletic. Tyron Woodley is 5'10", and, and I don't... I see a lot of weaknesses in, in him because I know I have about four inches reach on him. I got about two inches of height on him. I feel like I could stick and move, stick and move. I I personally believe that I, I match up well with him, and that is a fight that maybe in the future that will happen. But Tyrone Woodley's 33. I'm 27. I'm the future of this sport. What's going to happen when I'm 30? He's going to be 36. I'm going to be I'm going to be weathered. I'm going to be better, and that's when I'm going to make my title run. That's when he's going to be out. Now, you brought up how you went to MSU. How was wrestling in the Big Ten, by the way, for you? Wrestling in the Big Ten, there's no conference in the world like it. It's the toughest conference in the world, 100%, without a doubt. Uh, so wrestling in the Big Ten, it it prepared me to compete with the best in the world right now. No doubt about it. So obviously, you're a fan of the UFC. It's quite obvious. Yes. You're hyped. Tell me some of the fights that you've watched and gone, wow. You know, because obviously being a fan, the experience of going out with the boys, sitting out, you know, 10 o'clock, waiting for the card to start. Sometimes you can watch some of the pre-show action starting at 8 o'clock. But when the pay-per-view starts, you know you're laser focused and you wait for some great knockouts, great submissions. Tell me some of the fights that got you excited and riled up that tell you, man, man, I'm a fan of this stuff. Yeah, I'm in the UFC right now, but I'm a fan and I will be a fan, you know, through and through. A fight that I really, really like, and if anyone hasn't ever seen it, it's Carlos Conant versus Robbie Lawler. I don't know if you guys saw that fight, but that was an amazing fight, and it was all heart, went all five rounds. They took some heavy shots. Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor is an exciting one. Any Conor McGregor fight is really exciting. I'm a big fan of his, and those are the two I like, really. What's been your experience with judges? I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, and Dana White will repeat it probably until the day he dies, is never leave it in the hands of the judges. Go out there and swing and try your absolute best to win the fight either via submission or technical knockout. What's been your experience with judges and things like that? Because for the most part, it feels like UFC, you know, does a decent job, but there's been some controversies as of late in regards to some of the judging and how they look at, you know, you know the, the punches and things like that. Scoring is not universal state to state and things like that. Well... I have eight wins and seven are by finishes, so I didn't. I don't really have to worry about the judges, and I like to look at myself as a finisher. I don't like to put it in the judges' hands. And July sixteenth, you're gonna same, see the same thing. I'm trying to come in there and finish Danny Roberts. I plan on finishing him within the first two rounds, but if it does go to the judges' scorecards, that's fine because I plan on dominating round one, round two, and round three. So less than a month away from that fight, July sixteenth, what is the training regimen going to be like for you? Right now, a lot of drilling, a lot of uh, specific drilling for an opponent, conditioning, running, diet, and making sure I get a lot of rest. Okay, you said you're a fan of Conor McGregor. Obviously, we got to talk about it. Before we get into the whole matchup, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, do you think for the sport of UFC that it is you know positive for the sport that you know one of the superstars, Conor McGregor, is going to step into the ring with Floyd Mayweather? Because if he doesn't look good, if he's embarrassed, then does it you know hurt the UFC and mixed martial arts for him going up and trying to fight one of the best premier you know championship boxers in the world? 
I think this is a fight for the fans. In my opinion, this is the biggest fight in the world, in history so far. Do I think he's, well, you want my opinion who I think is going to win? I give you two. I don't think that Conor McGregor is going to beat Floyd Mayweather in a <laughs> boxing ring. Uh-huh. We're talking about a guy, guy who's 40, 49 and 0, the best boxer in the world. He, Conor McGregor's not going to be able to handle him. But uh, he's got a lot of confidence, and I like I lo- I, lo- I love Conor McGregor because he's got a lot of confidence, and he'll go in there with anyone. Uh, he's a bad dude, but uh, the way I look at it too is it's kind of Floyd the, ain't gonna step in his world. No <laughs> doubt know? about it. The way I look at it for me is it's really the ultimate gain for the UFC because nobody really expects Floyd Mayweather to lose. But if Conor lands that one shot. You know, then you now have the ultimate bragging rights. You got a guy that comes in there and shocks the world and hit, you know, that's what everyone's going to want to see is can Conor McGregor hit that one punch? And if he hits it, does he knock Floyd Mayweather out? If he does it, forget about it. UFC takes off. I think doubles in value. Arthur, I want to get your opinion. I've got to get your opinion. From a boxing perspective, is it a valid fight in your opinion? Not at all. It's not. But at the end of the day, it's what the market wants. And it's a business transaction. That's how I look at it. Floyd Mayweather is a is a very smart business guy. You know, what he does outside the ring doesn't really concern me. Uh, he's not the best role model in the world, but when he goes into that squared circle, um, there's no one that's better than him in the last 15, 20 years. And my thoughts are this. Everybody talks about if Conor McGregor will land that one shot, that one punch, Oscar De La Hoya, Zab Judah, Medina, Canelo, Mosley, I can name every single boxer that's landed flush, cracked Floyd Mayweather, and Floyd Mayweather has gotten back up, no problem. But did you see what McGregor did to Jose Aldo? Oh my gosh, he knocked him flush, boom, done, out. I was there, I watched it, I, I literally jumped out of my seat and my chair probably flipped over backward. He, he did the damage, he connected, and I feel like he wouldn't take this fight, obviously he's been training. He could probably, you know, at least try to get out there, and you probably assume the first couple of rounds is going to be some flurries. Don't you think that there's a chance that Conor McGregor could land one shot on Floyd Mayweather and at least do the damage? Yeah, he's going to land one shot, mm-hmm. and Floyd Mayweather's going to roll with it because mm-hmm. that's what Floyd Mayweather does. And if Floyd Mayweather does get hurt, Floyd Mayweather's going to tie him up because that's what Floyd Mayweather does. He is the best defensive fighter in the last 20 years, you know. I remember watching him when I was a kid because he boxed at the same time that my brother boxed. Uh, so I've seen him progress as a fighter, and there's not a snowball's chance in hell that Conor McGregor <laughs> is going to knock out Floyd Mayweather. Think- in my opinion, what's going to happen is, first off, frustration builds up. And when it comes to the mental game, that's the big thing. Mayweather wins most of his fights before he ever gets into the ring because he is a mentally strong fighter when it comes to boxing. And the other thing that you have to also think about is when frustration start stand, you know, starts happening, you start making dumb decisions. And it just takes one dumb decision and Mayweather capitalizes on it. And so there's a saying in boxing, you can either knock someone out with a lucky punch or you can beat them to within an inch of their life. And so you can think that Mayweather may catch Connor with a lucky punch but I honestly believe he's going to embarrass him for five, six, seven, eight rounds. That's what I think is going to happen. Now, I wanted to ask you, unrelated to that note, but you were interviewed by Jennifer Ann Wilson of yes. WXYZ. Yep. How did that go? And was that also your first time actually doing a media appearance technically for you, Bobby? No, I've done other media appearances. Um, 
did one with uh, the Detroit Free Press and a couple other, but it went well. It went great. She was she was great. It was a great interview, and it was you know I enjoyed it. What do you think about the hyping up of a fight? Because you know when we talk about Conor McGregor, when we talk about selling a fight, one of the things that fighters got to do is you got to be well rounded in the ring, obviously, or in the octagon. But at the same time, you got to also have a little bit of gift of gab and to sell a fight because. If you're going to be a top-of-the-line UFC fighter, if you're going to be the, the welterweight champ in three years, don't you think you got to be able to kind of spit the game a little bit and draw and sell a fight? Well, you know, especially in the UFC, Dana White and, you know, the UFC matchmakers, they want a guy who can market very well. Right now, Conor McGregor's out. Right now, uh, with boxing. Right now, Ronda Rousey's on a two-fight losing streak. She's gone. Sage Northcutt, he's, he had hype. He's no one now. They're, George St. Pierre's gone. They're looking for a superstar right now. They need a superstar, so marketing is important, and I know that. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to fight, and that's why I always tell people, I go out there and I fight, but I'm, I'm there to entertain as well. You know, I'm here to be an entertainer. Now, are you allowed to pick the music that you walk out to, or does, does the UFC control that? I actually am allowed to pick the music. What are you coming out to this go-around? Well, I have three and a half weeks to find, figure it out. I'm not sure yet. So Anything that you're leaning towards, though, right now, for your walk-up song? Nothing I'm leaning towards, so I don't know yet. I want to come out something a little hard, something, something mean, something fierce. What was fight one? What did you walk out to? Uh, it was a really relaxed, actually. It was <laughs> Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. Okay, very good. Now, let me ask you, how big of a mental edge can even good trash talking give you? Do you feel Let's like you see. ever psyched someone out by, by just talking to them you know, before the I fight? Think I, tr- I think I psych people out at the weigh-ins. I think the fight begins at the weigh-ins. And when I'm at the weigh-ins, I, I make myself look big. I get right in their face. I put my hand right next to their jaw. I, I always tell people, hey, the fight starts at, uh, right at the weigh-ins. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys who kind of just like, you know, hey, good job. I'm, I'm right down. I, I'll fight you right now. Let's go. Like, that's how I am. I think the fight starts at the weigh-ins, and I think I beat a lot of guys at the weigh-ins. So at your weigh-in with Danny... What do you plan on doing? Uh, right there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him know, hey, this is game time. I'm not your friend. I don't like you, and I'm going to try to whip your ass tomorrow. So he's going to see. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to put my hand right in his face. I'm going to look at him. I might even be like, hey, I'm going to whip your English ash. I might say that. I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to say something to him. But I, I let him know. The fight begins right, right, at, the, uh, right at the weigh-in. So. Let it all fly, man. Oh, let yeah. the fireworks start yeah. then. Now, Arthur, for you during your boxing career, were you a trash talker at all? No. At all. Strictly business? Strictly business. No now, chance. why is that? Why did you take that stance, the boxer? I don't really trash talk either, but... But you'll talk here and there. Like the gift of gab, as you know, Doc had brought up. There is yeah. something to it, and you kind of yeah. have that. I don't, I don't necessarily call... Like, I won't be like... I won't call him out, but if you, if you ask me what I'm going to do, I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to beat his ass. I'll say something <laughs> like that. Uh-huh. That's just me. Have you ever met Ariane Celeste? I have not. Man, if you ever do... Snap a pic and uh, make sure you post it because, my goodness, man, that, if you talk about being distracted, I feel like the only thing I couldn't do is, uh, you know, make sure I'd, I have to kind of make sure I walk to the right a little you bit. You would get distracted by I just, all I just make, I'd, I'd make a quick stop, quick stop to the left and be like, <laughs> Ariani, that chick, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's a total babe. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. But anyways, Arthur, you know, not to throw us off by that, I wanted to ask about the, the trash talking and your stance on it and how you weren't. Why was your stance kind of against trash talking as a boxer? I mean, in amateur boxing, there wasn't... I mean, we didn't talk about... There were a lot of guys that talked trash. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. But in my opinion, let what I do in the ring speak for itself. I mean, and that's... I always was laser focused when I fought. Before the fight, just in my own zone, I don't like to talk to people. My dad would warm me up, and I would just keep my eyes focused on the goal ahead, and that's it. That's what I would do, and that's 
that's what worked for me when I fought. Now, when you turn professional, now that's a whole different game because it's a business, and that's what it is. You need to market yourself, and whatever you have to do to market yourself, you know, to an ethical standard or whatever, do it to make yourself some money. Because at the end of the day, no one's gonna help you when things go wrong. Because that's the big problem with boxing right now is when things go south, there's no help for those fighters. I mean, like a personal friend of mine that was a teammate of mine, like Jermaine Taylor, amazing fighter. Now that he has issues with, you know, his mental capacity and stuff like that, there's no help for him. So that's make your money. It's a business and get out. What do you think is the state of boxing? I think it's super exciting right now. And think of the UFC is coming to boxing. Boxing isn't coming to the UFC. So boxing has the upper hand in this in this venue right now in combat sports because UFC is coming to boxing. Boxing isn't going to chase UFC. And think of the fights that you have coming up. You know, Canelo, Triple G. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a huge fight. Uh, and then you just had a great fight this Saturday, which was overshadowed by the Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather announcement, which was Ward and Kovalev 2, which ended controversially. But at the end of the day, Ward would have still won the fight. But there's a lot of great fights that are happening right now in boxing that we didn't have two, three, four years ago. Bobby, I got to ask you, how do you view boxing in the UFC on the totem pole? Well, uh, author made a great point. You know, the UFC is going to boxing and boxing's been around a long time. But there's no doubt that the growth of the UFC and the growth of the sport and the continued growth of the sport is huge. It's one of the fastest growing sports in the world. And, you know, anyone that I love combat sports and obviously I'm a, I'm a huge UFC fan. So I'm always going to lean towards there. But, uh, you know, they're both great sports and the UFC is on. I think I think in like five, 10 years, you're going to see a big, big swing in the UFC and, and everything. Now you guys yeah. all can see I'm in peak physical shape. But the same oh, time, God. Yeah, the same absolutely time, great shape. <laughs> Pristine shape. But, you know, I've always wanted to dabble in mixed martial arts because, you know, obviously I've always been interested. I've wanted to start. So let's say, you know, a listener of ours is listening and they want to step into an octagon or they want to start training as mixed martial arts. Where should they start? Where can they look maybe in Metro Detroit to get some solid background in mixed martial arts? Where should the DOC get some training if he wants to? Well, we have really good jiu-jitsu at Fuse Martial Arts. That's where I train Fuse uh, Martial Arts. We do MMA, we do jiu-jitsu, we do Muay Thai. Muay Thai. That's a great place. Um, pl- you know, just basically get started. You know, if you want, if this is something you want to do, just get started. Just do it. Step foot in the door. I know a lot of people get a little nervous and all that, but I mean, everybody for the most part, everybody's pretty friendly. So let's say wrestling class one. You know, if I want to go and I want to take a wrestling class, what do you think the first class would be, other than the basic workouts of like up, down, sit ups, push ups, stuff like that? What's a basic wrestling session one in mixed martial arts going to look like for me? Well, if I were to run it, I would. You know, it'd be fundamentals. I'd show you a wrestling stance. I'd show you a sprawl. I wouldn't even. We wouldn't even. We wouldn't even tie up. I'd show you a sprawl. I'd show you a duck walk, which is a shot. And I'd show you a wrestling stance so that and you might think like, well, how does this translate? I don't get this. Uh, but, you know, after doing that for a while, it will translate. But if you can't do push-ups and sit-ups like Doc, could you ever get into, you know, good enough shape to actually compete? I mean, <laughs> if, with, with, with hard work, I mean, why not? You know, maybe you can't, you, do push up, you can't do push-ups and sit-ups now, but it doesn't mean you can't do push-ups and sit-ups a month from now. Eventually, yeah. yes. You said you, you want to fight via submission. Yeah. Um, what are some of the submission moves that you've utilized to success in your repertoire? Well, I have two guillotine 
submissions two rear naked chokes. So I tend to attack the neck a lot. Uh-huh. That's something that I have a lot of success, success with. And with my wrestling pedigree, it translates very well. But at, when I'm training uh, jujitsu in the gym, I'm always catching arm bars. So don't be surprised if I ever catch an arm bar in my career. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to do that. But so far it's been guillotines and rear naked chokes. So Doc was uh, talking about you know starting to get involved in mixed martial arts. Is there a recommended age that you would tell somebody? I may know it's never too late, right? But mm-hmm. what would you say to maybe the parent of a child that wants to get involved in it? Well, I mean, I started when I was five. If you want to go to the UFC, yeah. if you want to fight at the highest level, I mean, you got to put a lot of time. I mean, I let's just say I put my life into this. I don't have a job. This is my job. I put my whole life in it. So if you want to be in the UFC or be at a high level boxing, anything, I mean, you're going to have to put everything into it. Like I said, I started as, 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 as when I was five. So if you have your son or daughter, you, want, you have dreams of them being in the UFC, put them in wrestling. So if it wasn't mixed martial arts right now for you, what would you be doing, by the way? Well, I got a degree in sociology, so it's something I still look into. I'd want to work with kids. I'd want to be a counselor at a high school. That's something I look into. Uh, be a high school wrestling coach. I like working with kids, so that's something I'd be doing. But right now, my main focus is uh, fighting. Bobby Nash takes on Danny Roberts, UFC Fight Night 113. It's going to air on July 16th. UFC Fight Night 113. It's going to air on FS1. Bobby, thank you so much for coming in here, sharing stories about your career. It's very fascinating, the stuff that you're into. Now, um, where can people find additional information about you and uh, things that you, anything at all you'd like to promote? Well, um, I'm very active on social media. So on Insta- my Instagram, Twitter, and my Snapchat, it's all at bnashty, B underscore N-A-S-H-T-Y. Uh, so you can follow me on that, and uh, I'll give you a lot of information leading up to my fight, training, etc. And I know you like Conor McGregor. You admitted it, but I yeah. also saw that retweeted photo from McGregor of him giving that blow to Floyd Mayweather Jr. that you retweeted what on it? your Twitter handle. What was it? What you was retweeted it? a photo from Conor McGregor. Where was he was it? punching Floyd Mayweather. He had oh, that yeah. portrait in the background. I love Which is going, like, going viral right now, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a photo of uh, uh, Conor McGregor. There's a painting of him just cracking Floyd Mayweather. I thought it was cool. Like a like mural a, of it, by the way. Yeah. Nobody knows what it's about. I mean, follow your Twitter handle, too, to find hey, out about it. Yeah. But it's going viral right now and yep. just blowing up. Yep. And McGregor's in front of it, and then it's hey, like a mural. He had done or something. That's, that's, it was incredible. That's, that's one thing about uh, Conor McGregor, man. He'll... You know, everybody's saying he's not going to win. I, I don't think he's going to win <laughs> at all. But I tell you what, he'll convince you he is going to. Oh, God, he's cocky. He'll he? convince you. Yeah. It's like, well, this guy, I mean, he truly believes oh, yeah. it. And I, that's that's kind of, you know, that makes it kind of exciting. You know? Yeah, when you start believing as much as I think he has, I mean, hey, anything can happen, I guess. Hey, and that's what he's thinking, and you got to think that he's way. He's a world champion at 145 pounds and a world champion at 155 in the UFC, and no one's ever done that in the world, so it's now, pretty impressive. Now, already. Arthur, if people want to train with you and get high-level training, it seems like you, you are in the know. You have the great, strong ability to teach people fundamentals of boxing and even to take a UFC fighter and to have the strong success to go out there and try and do some damage in the UFC. Where can they find information about you and your training? P-A-L-A-C, boxing. So Palak Boxing, or you can find me on Instagram at Arthur Palak, A-R-T-H-U-R-P-A-L-A-C, all one word. Arthur Palak, Bobby Nash, thank you guys much for coming in today. Thanks thank a lot you. for having us, man. Good luck to you too, Bobby. Thank you very much. Man, Vito, that was unbelievable. You know, to come to think that, you know, 
from 10 years ago, I was a fan of the UFC when it took off when Forrest Griffin had that amazing fight with Stefan Bonner, unbelievable to the heights. And to have an actual combatant, a UFC fighter sitting in the midst of you and I was unbelievable. And I think the uh, promotions, and I think on the promotional side, us tweeting out, you know, some people have noticed, and I kind of noticed now too, you're looking a little ripped, dude. Are you working out, dude? I am absolutely jacked, awesomely jacked every Every day of the week. And okay. I, caught, I caught your good side, too. Because you caught you a very good side. I like that you caught my good side there. I was kind of posing and flexing nonchalantly, and it caught me flexing. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing that. Not that you intended on doing that. No doubt about it. Let's take a quick time out. We'll come back, recap the interview. Unbelievable. I think we're both feeling like Bobby Nash, man, kind of excited to have that guy in here. He's, he's full of energy, and you can definitely sense he's hyped, and uh, it's going to be a great fight July 16th. Him and Danny Roberts, July 16th, UFC Fight Night 113 FS1. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Vito, the reason why we're able to have great interviews, the reason why guests respond to our emails and our inquiries to come visit us is because we have great audio and we got a great host site. Adam and I have been working with Podomatic since the inception of the project going back to September of 2013. A host site is just a place where you host your podcast and where people can go and find it. And the reason why Adam and I chose Podomatic was it's a simple, user-friendly site that allows you to post your podcast quickly without much pain or effort. One of the first things I did, Vito, when I started the project was to Google, how do you post a podcast quickly? And the first thing that popped up, search spot number one, was Podomatic.com. If you're going to start a brand new project and you want to get the likes of a UFC fighter in here, you want to do great interviews with those that are starting new projects, similar to Craig Custance earlier this week, then you want to use a great host site. You don't want to give out links that are faulty. So Doc and Jock, Vito, Brandon, Jerry, Jason Jarvie, we all recommend one host site if you're going to start a podcast, Podomatic.com. Sit down. And back here on episode number 25 of Two Bad Hombres. What a lovely encounter and meeting in studio with Bobby Nash and Arthur Palak. What great guys that they were to come in here, gracefully talk with us. And Bobby has quite the story. And he exudes confidence, doesn't he? He is ready to beat Danny Roberts in Scotland come July 16th. First and foremost, go green, go white. We support fellow Spartans here on the podcast network. And you could just see the energy that he was showing. And I think that he was excited to talk to us, share some stories, and to promote his fight. And uh, imagine, just imagine now in three years, we look up and Bobby Nash has a UFC title. There's a small chance, a small window. He walks through that front door because, hey, we opened the door first to let him you know, tell a story. He might open this door with the UFC belt. That'd be crazy. I literally would just be like, there's the UFC welterweight champion of the world, 170. Holy cow, man. I wish him all the best. And, uh, you know, for me personally, it's always tough to see a guy because you don't want a guy to get hurt. But you think that he's trained and he's got the the knowledge and the wherewithal to protect himself at all times. And you just hope for the best. And, uh, you know, Bobby Nash is a cool dude. Very cool dude. The adrenaline was rushing through him as he was talking to us. It was cool to see. He didn't even have the chance to find words at times because... That adrenaline was just rushing through his body as he was talking to you and I, Doc. No doubt about it. That was cool, dude, that we've had the opportunity now on this Too Bad Hombres podcast to talk to a champion boxer, Thomas Hitman Hearn, sat here, and now a UFC fighter, a guy that's going to walk into the octagon and compete at the highest level of mixed martial arts. I'm hyped now, too, man. Get hyped, stay hyped, baby. Roseville native. Bobby Nashty Nash. Good luck to him July 16th against Danny Roberts in Scotland. And now, I have for you guys to end this week's 
edition of Too Bad Hombres, a bad tweet. And I mean a bad, bad, bad tweet of the week. And it comes courtesy of the king, LeBron James, of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the NBA Finals, a runner-up team that he plays for in Cleveland. And he tweeted out. Now, this was in response to David Griffin, who served as a general manager for the Cavaliers. By the way, when they won a championship, the first ever championship won by the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know what? Griffin was the architect. And Dan Gilbert and him, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and David Griffin have decided to part ways. And LeBron James, guess what? Wasn't liking it whatsoever, and he expressed his dismay regarding that decision via Twitter. And here is this bad tweet of the week. Can you tell me how bad it is? I think he has some intent here. He tweeted out, If no one appreciated you, Griff, as in David Griffin, I did, he says. And he continues, And hopefully all the people of Cleveland... Thanks for what you did for the team for three years. We got us one. Then he has the icon of a a trophy saying that we got us one championship. He did. He helped deliver a championship to the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that was dismal before LeBron got to Cleveland. And in LeBron's second stint, remember, they won a championship, and the architect of that championship was Mr. David Griffin. Vito, is LeBron James the owner of the Cavaliers? Seems like it at times, and the general manager, and the head coach. It does definitely seem like that at times, Doc. It is now inevitable. We all kind of see the writing on the wall that LeBron probably is going to honor the contract and probably step out on the Cleveland Cavaliers after the next upcoming NBA season. And it makes sense. I mean, in the end, Cavs owner Dan Gilbert doesn't want to pay exorbitant amount of money to the athletes. And in the end, if there's another executive that Dan Gilbert feels can do the job better, maybe Chauncey Billups, then there's an opportunity to make changes. You got to remember, yes, it's important for Dan Gilbert to try and keep LeBron happy, but he's not beholden to it. And if he lets him go, then it's simply going to end up with LeBron leaving. Dan Gilbert got his championship. He upped the value of the organization. And if he wants to sell it, he probably should do it in the next 12 months before LeBron bounces ship. But in the end, Dan Gilbert is a multi-billionaire, and he's not going to sit and listen to LeBron James try and tell him how to run his franchise. Because you know what LeBron wants to do? It starts with an S and involves a lot of dollars changing hands. And if LeBron James was the one signing off on all these deals, you got to remember... Tristan Thompson's making a boatload of money. He put together a team basically with Kevin Love and these guys. A lot of the players that are on the roster for the for the Cleveland Cavaliers are due to the fact that LeBron vouched for him. And so I don't think Dan Gilbert wants to keep spending money way over the luxury tax to keep LeBron happy. He got one championship. I don't think he's trying to build a dynasty over there in Cleveland. He got one. That's a miracle. They got a championship in Cleveland. So if LeBron bounces, I think it'll be more amicable this time around. Let him go about his business. I would say if Dan Gilbert was making a mistake, he's probably not showing enough respect if he decided to let go of the general manager without consulting LeBron. You probably should. Well, the thing is, you just spoke about how he's the owner he has no, a right can to make fire shots, to have the ultimate decision-making power, powers, but and he should, does. But you should at least tell the guy. Look, I don't Oh, tell yeah, you, he I brought you a championship, the only one in Cleveland Cavalier history. And how about how dismal Cleveland has been in professional sports history and winning championships? It doesn't just happen in Cleveland. LeBron brought you one. So he went back to Cleveland to win a championship. He's already delivered on that promise. He's good to go now to jettison off to Los Angeles to play for the Lakers. So that could happen. And guess what? I don't think you brought up maybe it ending amicably, I don't think it will be an amicable 
exit between Dan Gilbert and LeBron James. It wasn't the first time around, remember that. Dan Gilbert in that letter to the fans saying that the Cavaliers would win before LeBron ever won in Miami. Guess what happened? The Miami Heat won twice with LeBron there his four years in South Beach with the Heat. Cavaliers didn't win without LeBron. It took LeBron going back to Cleveland to win that championship, and that might be all that they get in Cleveland. But guess what? That's why LeBron has some power over Dan Gilbert, over this franchise, and he calls the shots a little bit. He does. And this tweet, what it tells me, what it screams at everybody, I think, that knows about LeBron and the Cavaliers situation and his relationship with Dan Gilbert, it tells all of us, Doc, that LeBron is ready to opt out at the end of next season. He's ready to use that player option to go off to the bright lights of Los Angeles and to join forces with Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers. Maybe to make Showtime 2.0 in L.A. Well, Vito, I think it's one of those things where now the NBA offseason has kicked off and a lot of drama. The NBA draft occurred on Thursday. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen now the rest of the NBA offseason. It's going to be a storyline going forward. LeBron and the Cavs, what's their relationship like? Does Kevin Love get traded? Does Jimmy Butler end up with the Cavaliers? It's going to be fun to see when this all shakes out, man. It's going to be fun offseason. There's been a lot of news with the NBA, and uh, it's kicking off right now, so it's going to be all good. How icy will the relationship become between LeBron and Dan Gilbert by the end of next season? Could become very icy. And this, I saw MSN, I think it was MSN, wrote an article talking about this tweet from LeBron. And this could be, as they put it, the cover letter of (laughs) cover page of LeBron's exit from Cleveland round two. It really could be. This tweet, I think, started off what I think will eventually happen, which is LeBron exiting Cleveland a second time and doing it in a way that I think tells you that he truly does not like Dan Gilbert. I think it's a relationship that is not in a good state and it's not very recoverable as well. All right, Vito, great podcast. Always look forward to chatting with you. I hope you enjoy the weekend. I look forward to the upcoming podcast to see who may show up on future editions of Fresh Feedback or maybe some great in-studio guests like we had today. Thanks so much to UFC fighter Bobby Nash, trainer Arthur Palak. It was such a fun chat, literally. Like we always say, man, when you're having fun, an hour flew by, man. Boom, it was like that. It was a great chat. And thanks to Bobby, thanks to Arthur, and thanks to all of you tuning in to this fine edition of the podcast, which has been episode number 25 of Too Bad Hombres. Talk to you again next Saturday. And you can download all the podcasts on the network, DetroitSportsPodcast.com. I was trying to get it out.